The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, we're all over the after-hours action on this busy night of earnings. Alphabet, Microsoft, Twitter, Visa, Robinhood, all on the move. Many of the calls just getting underway. We are dialed in. We'll bring you all the big headlines. Plus, we're trading this record rally, the Dow and S&P 500 closing at a fresh all-time high today. Find out where our traders see the markets headed next and later. UPS delivers the stock handing in its best day in six months so we're even more gains ahead as we gear up for the holidays we are breaking down the transports trade straight ahead we start off with the tech earnings trifecta microsoft alphabet twitter all on the move on their quarterly reports we've got full team coverage of these results julie borston standing by on twitter deirdre bosa on alphabet but we start off with josh lifton who's digging in on the microsoft quarter hey josh So, Melissa, remember heading into this report, the stock, of course, had rallied hard. It was up about 40 percent already this year, hit a new all-time high in today's trade. As for the report, 227 on the bottom, not clear if that's comparable to estimates, but revenue, 45.3 billion. That is a beat. I checked in with Evercore's Kirk Matern. Kirk saying strong results across the board, in his opinion, powered by an impressive quarter in the cloud, up 34 percent constant currency. Azure continues outperforming, he says, up 48 percent. Office 365 commercial up 21 percent. Bottom line, most cloud businesses are accelerating. Keys on the call for Kirk guidance, commentary around Azure consumption trends and supply chain commentary for Windows and Xbox businesses. Kirk rates Microsoft outperform, well positioned, he argues, to capitalize on the digital transformation in the enterprise and set to deliver double digit top line and bottom line growth for the foreseeable future. He says call starts at 530 Eastern. Melissa, back to you. We'll look forward to it. Thank you so much, Josh Lipton. Um, you know, you might take a look at the after hours action and say, meh. But the context really uh, is very important, Guy. And Josh had mentioned the run up in the stock, the very high bar going into earnings and the fact that it delivered, especially on Azure, 48 percent growth following, I think it was 51 percent growth in the previous quarter. That's that's uh, some impressive results there. Unbelievable. I wouldn't say meh. Is there a C in that, by the way? I don't think there is. It's, it's silent if there is. I mean, this is a staggering quarter for a company their size. I think we've said this a number of different ways over the years, but I'll say it again. Microsoft is the most important company in the world, I think. It touches so many facets of our life, and they're proving it once again. And we can go through all the numbers and all the growth. The one that sticks out to me is net income for the first time ever is north of $20 billion. And that's up, I think, 48, 48% year over year, which is a staggering number. It speaks to a lot of different things, not least of which how well they're running the company. And oh, by the way, which I love to say, everybody laughed at them or a lot of people laughed at them when they bought LinkedIn. Take a look at that line. I mean, that's I mean, it's amazing what they've been able to do. So, yeah, Matt, I guess, in terms of the move where we train 312 or so. But you start looking at valuations and stuff and giving this EPS beat and start to put the numbers out. That 29, 30 times next year's number actually might start to come down. And you can actually start making a case for Microsoft on valuation, which is something we haven't been able to do. Is it expensive, Karen, considering what they have delivered? Considering what they have delivered, it's 
expensive, but it deserves to be expensive, right? They deserve this premium. They put up fantastic numbers again and again. And the thing that, you know, Guy touched on is a company this size to have this kind of revenue growth is really extraordinary. And when you do have this kind of revenue growth and you have the kind of products with the margins that they have, that sort of cures any ills you might have on the expense side. And so the bottom line is going to be huge. So they deserve to have a big premium. It's still pretty high. It's, it's a record high for them uh, in sort of before they were, a, you know, a tiny company. The multiple was huge. It's huge now, deservedly so. But, you know, it, it's hard to jump in right now. Right. I wouldn't buy more right now. I'd let it sort of settle out. But it's incredibly impressive. I think that if you were in it for this, hoping something more than this, that wasn't going to happen. I think it's really amazing. As you said at the beginning, the context going in, the stock was, you know, on fire and still they put up a quarter that was good enough to even be up in the aftermarket. It's it's really amazing. Dan, your take. Yeah, I think all of the above. I think there, there's little to shake a stick at other than the fact that I think Josh started out by saying the stock is up 40 percent of the year. It's up 11 percent in a straight line in the last three weeks. Uh, 45 analysts rate the stock, um, 40 a buy, five a hold, um, no sells. I mean, it's universally one of the most well-loved stories in the entire stock market, $2.3 trillion market cap. I would uh, kind of argue that you know this year you're, you're expected to see material deceleration right in their growth. Earnings and sales, let's say, up 12% year over year in both, trading about 35 times that. You think about the S&P 500 that trades um, at a forward PE of about 21, and that's well above the 10-year average that's somewhere in the high teens or so. So it won't be until you know we start seeing interest rates go back up again, if that is the case. I know Guy thinks that we're going to see 2% on the 10-year um, by the end of the year. I think go back to the highs in the 10-year back in Q1 of this year. We saw these stocks, even Microsoft, material lag the broad market for concerns about valuation. So right now, no one cares about valuation. I agree with Karen. If you're a mm-hmm. long-term holder in this stock, this is what you own it for. All of the things that they just printed. But let me just remind you this. They're going to guide in about a half an hour, and we may see this stock lower because the stock has already like traded into all of this news, in my opinion. Um, I will take the other side on the interest rate thing. I get when rates rise, you might not want to be in higher valuation stocks. But could you posit, Tim Seymour, and hear me out, that in an inflationary environment, you might want to invest in things like um, technology tools that are effectively deflationary and make your workforce more productive? Well, first of all, I have to hear you out because um, I can't see you. And, and, and obviously, that's what the CEO said. Uh, he pointed out where their, their technology is deflationary. Um, and this is a case where you have a rapid modernization going on on the commercial side and on the enterprise side and certainly also uh, on the retail side. So uh, to expect the kind of growth that we're going to have uh, or we have had in this quarter and even in the last four or five quarters for the next four or five quarters. Yeah, I think you can expect it. I think you can expect high single digit returns, but I think you can get mid-teens revenue growth. Uh, and, and oh, by the way, Guy, I mean, you know, they're, they're, there's $20 billion or so of capital give back, which is supporting this story. This is a free cash flow machine. This, these are gross margins north of 70%. Even with Azure as a higher part of the revenue mix and a lower margin product. That's the extraordinary part here. So, again, with the market we have, 
this stock's not expensive. Uh, I think we're all speculating. We do this every night um, where the market should be trading relative to the macro around the Fed and liquidity. But for the market we have, this stock is not expensive. And the premium that Karen pointed out that they trade at is deserved. Um, and I, you know, it's all these other businesses, too. How about how about hardware? How about gaming up 16 percent? How about uh, Xbox hardware up 166 percent for a stock that's up 120 percent on a two year basis? Very, very impressive. All right. Microsoft's at the flat line with about 23 minutes to go to the conference call. We turn now to Alphabet. That company's call is underway. Deirdre Bosa is listening in. Debo. Melissa Sunder Pichai kicking off that call, telling investors how Alphabet is now an AI-first company. He says it's a vision that he laid out five years ago. He went on to say that search remains at the heart of what they do. And indeed, search advertising is what drove that record growth in revenue this past quarter. Also, what gives Google its trove of first-party data, allowing it to avoid the disruption from Apple's privacy changes that hit Snap and Facebook. Meanwhile, YouTube revenue came in a little bit short of the street's expectations, but it continues to be a growth driver. Pichai just touched on some highlights in that segment. Have a listen. We recently surpassed 50 million music and premium subscribers, including those in trial. And YouTube Shorts continues to see higher adoption rates. In the past year, the average number of daily first-time creators more than doubled. And Shorts is, of course, YouTube's answer to TikTok and Reels. Now, Chief Business Officer Phil Schindler, he also said that there's a lot more to come, including tapping into commerce on YouTube. This has been a big initiative. He also called Connected TV their, quote, fastest growing screen. Q&A just kicked off, guys. And so far, analysts asking questions about long-term ambitions, what they are in next-generation tech like AI and augmented reality. And Melissa, he was also just asked about the impact of iOS changes on YouTube, which you know analysts think is more vulnerable to those privacy changes. Pichai said that it was very minimal. Very minimal. Okay, Debo, thank you. Keep us posted. Deidre Bosa on Alphabet. Karen, the stock is uh, down by just under a percent at this point. Why do you think the softness is there? Well, uh, it was actually down a little bit more when I, before we got on the air, but I think it's the tiny miss on um, YouTube. I think it was expectations sort of high going in. I know the stock pulled back after um, the snap results, but... I think, I mean, this is my biggest position. I like what I'm hearing. I want to hear um, more about uh, whether they think that um, the, the iOS issues that others are having is really going to be a big benefit to them, or if that's more fleeting. I would want to hear about that. I think they did mention something that uh, re- uh, retail search was up. I think travel search was up, which makes sense. So to the extent that they... Uh, deal with less supply chain constricted things. That's better. But really impressive. Again, you have giant numbers and you have giant growth. And so the margins aren't quite as good as Microsoft for sure. But still, you get tremendous operating leverage. Also, one thing I do look at often, they did increase the, the pace of their repurchase. They were 12 and change billion dollars, mostly in that class C that they added last time, last quarter. And that was up from maybe about $4 billion the quarter before. So I like that they're giving money back to shareholders. That cash trove is enormous. I like it. I don't, I don't think this was a disappointing quarter. To me, all right, trading down 1% or 2%. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, Tim, Tim what did you make of the quarter? Look, I, I, for a stock that's outperformed the NASDAQ 100 by 
percent on a year-over-year basis, um, you know, there's a lot priced into this stock. And, and in fact, YouTube, I agree with Karen, this is maybe the place where I think there's the most upside. People also forget that Google has effectively a one-third global ad share. I mean, it's of the market share of the global ad business. And so, um, and I, I think the growth that you're seeing in streaming, obviously everyone, no one's on linear TV anymore, except for those that watch CNBC. And I think it's a case where just the, the, the runway for this company remains extraordinary. So very difficult comp, uh, despite the fact that you see their core business still growing. Uh, you know, again, that's that's the cash cow that keeps on delivering and, and, and actually beat there. So I, I love that. And in terms of, again, the market we have, 26 times 23, maybe 22 times X cash. Um, this stock is really cheap relative to the market we have now that we're all investing in. And until that changes, Google can go higher. Okay, so I'll go back to Dan with the market we have question. And, and so, Dan, does this also fall into the category of in a market in which rates will rise sooner rather than later at this point? Is this a yeah. stock that you want to be in or you want to ditch? Well, here's the thing, Mel. I'm going to turn the table. I don't think rates are going anywhere. So that, that's the one uh-huh. thing. So, if, 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 so I think that, again, if rates are going higher, I think Boom. you will see rotation into more GDP-sensitive sort, sorts of names, especially given the outperformance. I'll just say this. We're talking about margins. We're talking about growth at a reasonable price. I mean, versus Microsoft right here, these companies both have 68% margins. They both have very similar expected earnings and sales growth for the next year or so. And I'd make the case that Google Google trades much cheaper than Microsoft, about 26 times and about seven times sales versus Microsoft at about 30 and 10 on the out year. So to me, I get it. I'll just tell you this. If you guys are into drawing lines like our main man, Carter Braxton Worth, draw a line from the January low in Alphabet and you can draw this beautiful uptrend. Well, it broke it at the end of September and it got rejected there just a couple weeks ago on this bounce. It sold off a little bit in line with Snap. You might see a retest of that uptrend, but that to me is going to be really important technical resistance there. So again, I'd buy this one on a pullback, it's cheap relative to the market where it's trading. Um, I mean, there's no reason this thing should trade at a market multiple given its growth expectation and its uh, margin structure. But I'd rather do this, I guess, than Microsoft. I'd love to see Microsoft back under 300. And then you start talking about where to buy it again. Well, Microsoft was 280 just three weeks ago. That looked like a good level. All right, small move lower here uh, since we started talking about Alphabet down 1.5% right now. We'll keep you posted on the conference call. Let's get to Twitter. Meantime, that stock higher in the after-hour session. The call kicks off at the top of the hour. Let's get to Julia Borson with a breakdown of these results. Julia. Well, Melissa, Twitter revenue coming in right in line with expectations. Revenue guidance for the fourth quarter, it's in the range of expectations, but the midpoint is below the consensus. And daily monetizable active users, that's the key user metric, coming in a bit lighter than anticipated. Now, as for the all-important question of how Twitter is handling Apple's operating system changes, CFO Ned Siegel telling me that the impact remains modest because his company has benefited from being 85% brand advertising and only 15% direct response advertising. Those ads are more exposed to Apple's targeting changes. Siegel telling me, quote, We are coming from a different starting point than other platforms, so we see a modest impact in Q3 and are incorporating that into Q4. We still think there's opportunity for us to improve relevance of ads on Twitter. Now, going forward, the company says it also sees more potential in shopping. Right now, they say they're learning from the Shop Module Pilot program that they rolled out in the quarter. 
also saying they are making changes to make Twitter easier for new users in particular. And as for that damage that Snap felt from advertisers pulling back on supply chain constraints, well, Twitter says that more than half of their ad revenue is tied to services and digital goods. And of course, Melissa, those don't feel the pinch from supply chain issues. Nope. Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Um, be sure to tune in to Squawk Box tomorrow for a first on CNBC interview with Twitter CEO, uh, CFO, excuse me, Ned Siegel. That's 8.40 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, Guy Adami, it almost feels like Twitter was saying, take that, Snap. <laughs> we weren't impacted by the things that you were citing. <laughs> I think, I mean, it's really amazing what he's been able to do as CEO. Of two. It's remarkable, actually. And it is sort of a take that snap. But what's really fascinating to me is this is, I mean, if you really look at the quarter, I mean, it's pretty much everything's in line. Um, and I guess that's all Twitter needed to do. We talked about it being in this pennant formation from that high back, I guess I want to say, when was the traded up to 80? I think in February, March. Obviously, this long-term uptrend it's been in since the March 2020 lows. You get above 64 and a half, 65, in my opinion, and this is now broken out to the upside, and we will take out that $80 level. We talked about this last week. I said, you know, very good chance you're going to fast fire me, and I was embracing that. But looks as though it might be on the verge of breaking out. Good for Twitter. Dan. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't disagree with much of what Guy said. I just don't think it's going anywhere in this environment right now. I mean, I think this stock, they, or they did what they had to do. I don't think it is take that snap because I think they are very different businesses. You think about what Siegel had to say. They are starting at a different point. And I do like all of the innovations that they're doing, the things that they're trying. They are moving away from things that are not working very quickly. So I think, you know, shopping is going to be a big one. I think there's probably going to be some form of payments co- uh, component of it. We know Jack is obviously very big into uh, the Bitcoin. And listen, at some point, we may see a monster deal. And I don't mean like a merger or anything like that, but a monster deal within the payment capabilities that Square has with their cash app, that sort of thing. So I see a lot of opportunity here. I also see what Guy sees on the charts here. I just don't think this one's getting away from you anytime soon. Yeah, live events is a big opportunity. Shopping, as decided on the call, is an opportunity. Tim, there's still levers or levers if you want to use Guy's terminology, um, to pull on this. Yes, and if, it, and if they're on schedule, um, they're going to do $7.5 billion in revenue in 23, <laughs> which they just reaffirmed, which is extraordinary. because and, and the $80 reference point Guy made to back in the beginning of the year was a function of an investor day where they talked about these levers. And you have a case where, um, look, they just said fourth quarter $1.5 to $1.6 billion in revenue. The numbers either don't add up or 23 is going to be a massive year for this company. So, again, uh, it's a company that guided the analyst community that there were big things in store, not out at the end of the decade, but short term. They've reaffirmed seven and a half billion on a revenue target for 23. Uh, that should be exciting investors here. And I'm not sure that's in the price. Karen. Well, to me, I just look at uh, in the social media space, online advertising, digital advertising. I'd much rather, much rather in terms of valuation and position be in either Alphabet or Facebook and kudos to Dan. I think I didn't I wasn't on last night, but apparently Dan was saying Facebook was going to trade down today, which it definitely did rallied a little bit at the end of the day. But that to me is a much better play, much, much better valuation. 
Twitter up more than 3% uh, after our 6 o'clock is a conference call there. Earnings Parade just getting started here on Fast Money. Robinhood, Texas Instruments, Visa, all on the move in the after-hour session. All three of the calls are now underway. We are breaking down the quarters straight ahead. Plus, check out the move in UPS today. The stock breaking out to a fresh all-time high. On the back of results, we're digging into that trade when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Robinhood. That stock is down about 8.4% after reporting. Let's get to Kate Rooney with the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Robinhood with a big miss on the top and bottom line in the third quarter, as well as a slowdown in user growth and in crypto trading activity. The company says all of that will persist into the end of this year. Crypto trading really had stolen the show in the second quarter. In the third quarter, though, the one they reported today, it brought in about $51 million of transaction-based revenue from cryptocurrency trading. That was down about 78 percent from the prior quarter, although it was still up more than 800 percent from a year ago. CEO Vlad Tenev on the call that just kicked off at the top of the hour, saying that Robinhood saw considerably fewer new funded accounts and lower revenue compared to Q2. He says, looking back to the quarter, we saw huge interest in crypto, especially in Doge, leading to a large number of new customers joining the platform and record revenues. He's referring about the second quarter there. That activity, though, slowed down in the most recent quarter. He says, historically, our growth has come in waves. The surges have come during periods of increased volatility or market events. I also caught up with CFO Jason Warnick after the, uh, the earnings came out. He said it's really going to be impossible for the company to accurately predict revenue on a quarter-to-quarter -quarter basis. So a lot of unpredictability there. Robinhood forecasting some of the same factors that impacted the most recent quarter to persist 
throughout the end of this year. That includes some of the seasonal headwinds, retail uh, trading activities slowing down. Robinhood looking for about 660,000 new accounts in the upcoming quarter. Pretty much the same level as they saw in Q3. That's way down, though, from the first quarter when they were seeing millions of people joining the platform. That guidance weighing on the stock here after hours, as you said in the intro. It's down, looking like down about 8% here after hours. Back to you. So they're looking at no new user growth quarter on Pretty quarter. Pretty much flat, exactly. After and we've seen a decline in average revenue per user, a decline right. in transactions. Yeah, okay. after a blowout first quarter and really a lack of viral events to drive some of that growth. Yep. Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney. Um, Dan Nathan, what should one pay for a stock like this where the CFO himself says you can't predict quarter to quarter anything? And we've seen massive they, they declines. Shouldn't, they shouldn't pay anything. They should sell the stock. I'm not saying to sell it down 10 percent right here. I mean, <laughs> listen, what they pulled before their IPO, okay, but launching Dogecoin on the platform, it was like giving like a fat kid candy every morning for breakfast. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were trying to rip this thing into the IPO. The fact that they've gone from 231 million in uh, you know crypto revenue, which was predominantly Doge in that Q2, down to 51 million, is a joke. I mean, listen, this app should be in your gambling folder on your iPhone because that's what it exists to do. And when you think about the user growth pulling back, we know what the account size was in that last quarter. That's what it is. This is not democratizing anything. It is a gambling app, a legal one, on your iPhone. And that's about it. And they may try to add this and that or whatever. And you know what? Let me tell you something. I think Vlad was on Kramer last week. He's not good at it. He should actually stop talking to the street here. And especially when you know you have the president of their securities division trading ahead of their their non, uh, you know, non-trading order back in GameStop that came out in the quarter. I mean, this thing just doesn't seem like it's ready for the prime time just yet. And we know, we know that the stuff with Robin and all this stuff, or excuse me, with Citadel is not done. So I, I just, I don't get it, man. I think there's just much better places to invest in the markets. I don't think they've democratized anything. I mean, we haven't even uttered the words payment for order flow and the possibility that that somehow gets changed by the SEC, which is, in fact, looking at this. And and that also threatens uh, the business model of this company, Guy. Yeah, not only threatens it. I mean, we talk about Facebook's existential risk. That's it for Robinhood. Listen, Dan is being a tad bit harsh, but doesn't mean he's wrong. And, you know, I I never really thought there was anything particularly innovative about the company other than... um, the name, to be honest with you. And I think we're starting to learn that now. And one of the points I've made, and I'll make again, you know, if the market says that Robinhood's a $33 billion company, that's great, wonderful. But then there's no way at all the NASDAQ should be a $33 billion company. Something's wrong there. And my, my sense is <clears throat> it's wrong on both sides. NASDAQ should be a lot higher, which has been happening. And Robinhood should be a lot lower, which will begin to happen, in my opinion. What are the extra- extrapolations that one makes seeing Robinhood's results? Or do we make any to, I mean, I was making one to the Nasdaq valuation. Do we make any to Coinbase? Do we make any to, to other sort of related exchange or marketplace trades, Tim? I think apples and oranges to NASDAQ. Uh, I think to the extent that there's been high correlation to crypto, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to compare it to Coinbase. I think you have a demographic that's very similar to Coinbase. Um, I think the fact that, you know, the, the 51 million in crypto 
related revenues is up, you know, ninefold year over year is still pretty impressive. And I know the growth for a growth company is is disappointing, especially let's talk about user accounts. But think about the pull forward that they had and think about the Reddit moment in time and think about, again, the user base. I'm not, you know, I'm not terribly impressed by the, the size of these funded accounts and the fact that that's flat and sideways, but it hasn't fallen. And you can't tell me that the street didn't price in these numbers before this event, or maybe they've tacked on another 8% here. But we knew where you know equity trading was going to be. We knew crypto was down. We knew options were a sweet spot. And again, think about the demographic here. The fact that options trading is hot um, doesn't surprise me. And I think they have a very valuable audience. You know, I think at this point, you priced in a whole lot of bad news. You still have a very sticky, loyal customer base. Does this, Karen, educate you as to how you think about E-Trade within Morgan Stanley, for instance? Absolutely. I was just thinking of that, you know, E-Trade. I don't know what the embedded value the market's giving for E-Trade within Morgan Stanley, but I don't think it's enough relative to this. So I think, you know, to your earlier question, Coinbase is probably, you know, taking some of Robinhood's crypto away. But I think that the valuation here, really, you mean you can go a lot of different ways and I think get a, you know, a, a better valuation or better. So a black stone, a black rock, um, a Morgan Stanley. And I know there are a, probably a Charles Schwab. I don't know the valuation right now, but I know that it's materially less than this. I know those are really not cool and, you know, very old school, but they do make a ton of money. So that's interesting to me. I'd much rather be buying Morgan Stanley right here. Then Robinhood down to, uh, I don't know where it is right now, 37 maybe. Yep, down 9% right now in the after hours. Uh, we'll keep watch on this one. Coming up, we've got some after hours action in the chip space. Texas Instruments under pressure on earnings. We'll break down that trade ahead. And later, Lockheed Martin plunging more than 11% today on results. We'll tell you how our traders are playing this one. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Welcome back. We've got an earnings alert on Texas Instruments, a stock under pressure in the after hours on the back of the results. Let's get to Leslie Picker with a breakdown of the quarter. Leslie. Hey, Melissa, that's right. The Texas Instruments conference call ending just a short while ago, almost the entirety, this is no surprise, of the Q&A portion focusing on supply chain issues. To back up quickly, TXN narrowly missed estimates on the top line while eking out a small beat on the bottom line, that's why you see some pressure on the stock and after hours trading. Analysts pressing executives about this on the call, looking for more color on how the chip maker is being impacted by supply constraints that, of course, are very well telegraphed. Vice President of Investor Relations Dave Paul said the biggest change in this quarter came from customers becoming more selective in their expedite requests, focusing on a narrow set of products that complete a set for them rather than a broad-based order. He noted this behavior is not specific to any product family and market or geography. One analyst asked whether this shift was due to a lower customer demand 
or less supply by Texas Instruments, and Paul said it was a combination of both. The company did note that its pricing has not changed and that it's incrementally adding capacity into the back half of 2022. But clearly, these supply chain issues are very complex and showing up up and down the uh, customer base for them as well as internally. Shares of TXN lower in after hours trading down about 3.8% right now, although they've climbed up a bit from the more than 5% declines we saw after the numbers first came out. Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Leslie. Um, let's trade this. And, and of course, you have to think about NVIDIA in today's session hitting a new uh, record high guy. It's the tale of two chips. And what does this tale tell you? Tell hmm. investors. Look at you getting all uh, that's literature, I believe. And that's Tim's <laughs> NVIDIA and AMD. Throw that one in there. It says the following. NVIDIA's in the growth areas and Texans not. And, and again, you know, it's not to impugn Texas Instruments. It's a great company. I just don't think they're deserving of the multiple the market seems to give them. By the way, you got to give VI's Breaker huge props. I think it was on August 14th or stuff when I think the last time we were on together, Chips had a rough day. And I mentioned that Texan didn't deserve the multiple then. It was 188. It proceeded to trade up to 200. Uh, Bono and liked it. But again, I don't understand how Texas Instruments can trade north of 25 times next year's number given their growth rate. I think it deserves more of a market multiple, if not lower. And I think this reinforces the fact that both AMD and NVIDIA are eating everybody's lunch. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. It's a great example of just some of these disconnects between valuations in, in markets. You know, I mean, obviously, NVIDIA, people are worth uh, paying. You know, that thing's trading 53 times, 21 times sales. It's a $600 billion market cap company that just blew out today. Think about how much market cap it just gained, over 50 billion dollars or so. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to me when you consider the growth expectations for next year. But on the flip side of that, you have Texan expected to grow earnings and sales low single digits trading, I think I said, about 25 times and about 10 times sales. That doesn't make a lot of sense. My final call last night after what I thought was a really bad quarter in guidance was Intel on its way down to the mid 40s. I think that makes some sense. These are cyclical companies. They do actually make changes. There is M&A, that sort of thing. You want to buy them. I think when you're down and out and the valuation makes sense, um, not when they're busting out like this. So to me, I'm not a buyer of AMD or NVIDIA or Texan, but I might consider uh, Intel on the way down to 45. It's a rare occasion when uh, Dan and Tim would agree on something, but it appears that they would agree on Intel in this case. Yes, we would. Yes, we would. Hey, come on. I mean, Dan and I, we don't agree on, on certainly fashion, but uh, we agree on other things. No, look, you I, both I think wear rag a, and a bone, by the way. Intel. You, you well, both I, keep rag and bone do. in business. <laughs> this is true. And I can't see Dan tonight, so I don't know if he's wearing that denim shirt again. But, but if he is, I'm sure he looks great. Um, I think you have a case here with Texan. Guy pointed out 27 times. Uh, you're going to be stuck at 17 billion in revenue. I mean, you're not you're not moving on the revenue line. Um, and and I think when you at least look at Intel, the investment in the foundry business, which we know is still one or two years out, but that they're actually playing offense. They're going to spend, spend, spend. It's a much more interesting story. Um, look, the lead time and the lag time with what's going on in the industrial chip space is something that is well flagged, but still not entirely clear on when at least a company like Texan. I'd rather own the autos who are, who are certainly implicated by this than I would Texan where the valuation is where it is. 
Coming up, the earnings keep on rolling in. VS is on the move after reporting we're breaking down the quarter next and later. UPS delivering some big gains, the stock surging nearly 7%. Find out how our traders are playing this monster move. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are all over the after-hours action in shares of Visa. The stock just took a big leg lower. It's down more than 3%. Let's get back to Kate Rooney, who's got the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa, Visa with better than expected results, helped by that jump in overseas spending and notching record payment volume in the quarter. The call is still going on. Visa executives, though, highlighting those higher cross-border volumes and quote, faster than anticipated recoveries in travel. Cross-border volume was up about 38 percent from a year ago. Those pandemic restrictions lifting helped to that recovery. CEO Al Kelly saying on the call, cross-border volumes returning over the next two years will only help further drive that growth. Cross-border volume recovery did continue as more countries opened up their borders. He also talks about e-commerce spending excluding travel, remaining strong and one of the strongest categories. Pent-up demand for travel, they say, will accelerate when borders reopen. Latin America, though, is by far the strongest destination, they say, and uh, well over the 2019 levels. And U.S. to Mexico travel remains robust. Asia-Pacific, though, is still mostly closed. They said that did not really improve at all in the quarter. Card present spending, that restaurant and in-person spending, is at some of the highest levels they've seen in the pandemic, driven by higher fuel and restaurant spending. Overall, payments volume was up about 121 percent compared to those 2019 levels, up to 17 percent from a year earlier Total payment volume, guys, hit an all-time high of $2.8 trillion. Uh, Al Kelly also talking about the pandemic helping to digitize cash, card not present volume, that e-commerce and digital spending also still strong. Stock, though, down about 3% here after hours. Back to you. All right, Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney. Um, Karen, how do you uh, trade this one? Mm-hmm. Well, I think if you were in it, this is this is not a disappointing quarter. There was a lot to like here. And when you think about that revenue growth they're talking about in the teens, that's tremendous revenue growth already off of a very high base. The cross-border issues, they talk about that Asia-Pacific number being pretty stagnant. I think that's some more profitability to come when that, I think it's a when that opens up, not if that opens up. So I think there's a lot to like here. If you, you were comfortable owning it at this valuation going in, you should be comfortable after this earnings release. It's a little bit pricey, but it should be. I mean, as we know, borders have not yet fully opened. People are not yet fully back to travel, um, Tim. But at 32 times forward or thereabouts, have we priced in the full recovery? I don't know. And you know, how about exposure to digital payments? Visa's going to be there uh, as, as much as I think some of these higher fintech, multiple fintech plays. So, um, I, I, you know... Uh, Kate just pointed out, I mean, you have a case where you, you've got uh, the Asia is effectively closed. The cross-border dynamics here, um, while encouraging for the quarter, the biggest problem, and I think the reason why um, the, the stock's, you know, somewhat muted here, um, is, is really just they haven't guided for 22. So if you're that confident about a reopening world, even in a world with uncertainty, give some guidance, even though they don't have to do that. Um, I think that's the big issue here, at least based upon what's come out so far. Yeah. Guy? We're in a three-year uptrend, and, you know, we used to talk about something years ago. We don't talk about it as much anymore. Whisper, whisper numbers, and the whisper number for EPS was, I think, a buck sixty-seven. They came in light of that, although they did beat what the street was looking for. I think that's weighing on it. But when you have transaction, you know, year-over-year, 21 percent 
transaction growth. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a juggernaut of a company at a high valuation that's deserved of. I mean, we've seen moves like this before in Visa. They've been scary. People start talking about valuation a week later. In my opinion, we're talking about a stock that's making a new all-time high. I think that's what's going to happen again. Coming up, shares of UPS soaring today on the back of earnings. The company posting better than expected results. We're beginning. Uh, we're going to bring you that trade right to your doorstep. And check out what happened to Lockheed Martin, the tank maker, tanking today. And that had options traders piling in. We'll tell you how they're trading this one when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of UPS, a shipping giant hitting a new all-time high after reporting better than expected Q3 earnings. Thanks to an e-commerce boom, the stock is now up 29% year-to-date. Good news for you, Karen. Yes, good news for me. Unfortunately, the bad news is I have more FedEx than I have UPS, and this really was sort of a, you know, they showed FedEx how it's done. Nice, very nice job. They didn't ship more packages, but they made more revenue on each package that they shipped. Their mix was better. They didn't have those employee problems that FedEx seemed to, the labor shortage that FedEx had that really dragged down their quarter. Remember, UPS is union, FedEx is not. So there was a lot to like here. Hopefully, a lot of those same things that worked for them, the revenue growth, the higher uh, price per package, will uh, accrue to FedEx's benefit as well. We won't hear from them until, I think, late November. So I'm happy their stock isn't, it's, it's expensive relative to FedEx, but it's not expensive, and FedEx is really not expensive. Yeah, um, but does this quarter, Tim, tell you that UPS is where you want to be? Ah, great question. So, I, I, look, on relative value, I, I like, I like you, uh, FedEx underperforming by 30% year-to-date to UPS. But, but again, um, this is where you want to be, FedEx, if, if you look at UPS. This is operational uh, execution that FedEx can only dream about. Again, UPS is targeting a consolidated margin of 13.5 to 14 uh, by 23. This is the first sign that they're breaking through. Add that to the pricing power that they have. Uh, J.P. Morgan, I think, refers to this as a virtuous cycle for UPS that's only just beginning if they continue to follow through as they did on these numbers. So, again, going into peak holiday season, they've got the pricing power. They're about to announce pricing, which should uh, replicate what FedEx is getting. Um, Very interesting time for both of these companies. But I'd rather own FedEx on a relative value play and massive underperformance. All right. By the way, Kramer's all over the UPS quarter. He wrote all about it today in the CNBC Investing Club newsletter. Join the mailing list at CNBC.com slash Investing Club. We just got some big news out of Robinhood um, in that call. Let's get back to Kate Rooney for those details. Kate. Hey, Melissa, CEO Vlad Tenev on the call for Robinhood saying just now that they will not add any new cryptocurrencies. They're not adding any new coins until they have more clarity on the regulatory landscape. He says they're, quote, keeping a close eye on crypto as the regulatory landscape uh, is increasingly uncertain, as he calls it. He says we're aiming to deliver new features in crypto while introducing products that comply with legal and regulatory requirements. So referring to the SEC there, saying that some of these cryptocurrencies look like securities. No new coins for now, but it comes as customers are looking for new sort of meme coins, the Shiba Inu coin and Shib coin. Um, and some of these other viral meme stocks have helped really drive growth at Robinhood, but we won't see any new versions of that on the platform for now. Back to you. Um, 
Kate, th- I have a question for you, Kate. I don't know if you know the answer, but for Dogecoin, for instance, does the SEC have anything saying that that is a security and so therefore there's clarity surrounding Dogecoin or is that also up for, up for interpretation? And so therefore, could we actually see if the regulatory landscape changes these meme coins go away also? They've said the only ones that they've said are exempt and are not securities would be Bitcoin and Ether. Those have been designated as commodities. As for the rest, um, you've had SEC Chairman Gary Gensler and Jay Clayton originally say everything else, for the most part, really walks and talks like a security. It's not clear what would be different about something like Shiba Inu coin or Shiba coin versus Dogecoin or some of the complexity between those. But it's, from what the SEC has said, almost all of these are securities. All right, Kate, thanks for the clarification, Kate Rooney, on Robinhood. Um, Guy, you have this big grimace on your face, but, you know, adding new securities is a way to get new people signing up and get, you know, a way to get the transaction volumes up because that's what we saw with Doge. And the fact that they are not going to do that tells you that they're not going to have that that spike because of some sort of, you know, phenomenon, popularity of a coin. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, since literature seems to be the theme tonight, uh, Robin Hood thumbed his nose at the sheriff of Nottingham back in the day. It appears as though uh, Gary Gensler's playing the role of the sheriff. And in this case, looks like he's winning. I, you know, I, again, I, I don't see the innovation with Robin Hood. I don't understand the valuation in Robin Hood. I get that it's really cool. Um, but they got a lot of problems. And, you know, I don't think I don't think this move lower is addressing all the problems they have. I think it goes lower from here. All right. It's down 8.8% right now. Coming up, shares of Lockheed Martin falling hard after a revenue miss, but options traders see a strong defense for the name. We've got the details next. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out Lockheed Martin shares tanking today after the company reported a revenue miss and lower 2022 guidance. Despite today's big losses, one options trader is making a bullish bet on the defense contractor. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Yeah, so Lockheed Martin traded 15 times its 20-day average options volume today. And, of course, we did see some bearish bets on that disappointing news. But calls still did outpace puts by about 3 to 2. Most of that call activity was focused on the weekly 340 and 350 strike calls. An example of this was the November 5th weekly 350 strike calls. We saw buyers of those, including a purchase of a couple hundred for 75 cents a contract. Those traders taking advantage of not only the lower stock price, but lower options premiums as well, betting on a potential rebound over the course of the next 10 days or so. Guy, your quick take on Lockheed? Which you could see because the stock traded down, I think, to 326 or so today. Go back and look what the January low was. Also look at the volume today, 9 million shares. Listen, they said the next five years, five years are going to be difficult. But you know what? For a trade, I think what Coco Beware just said makes a lot of sense. All right. Mike, thank you. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Guess who trades six turns cheap to UPS? It's FedEx. And, and I think this stock actually is starting to make a move. Certainly the backdrop great for both companies. Karen. Yeah, my final trade's Facebook. I think it was overdone a little bit last night. I'm not disappointed in then spending a ton of money. They bought Oculus. They bought Instagram at incredible prices. If, if Zuckerberg sees this as an opportunity in the metaverse, good. And I'm glad they're breaking it out separately. So Facebook. Dan. 
Yeah, Karen, Mark Zuckerberg is not going to be the overlord of the metaverse, so I take the opposite side of that. And this time tomorrow, I suspect Microsoft's a little lower than where it is right now. It's two for final trade. Die. This time tomorrow, brought by Dan. Well done last night, Dan, by the way. <laughs> Las Vegas Sands appears to be getting off the mat a bit. LBS. Thanks for watching Fast Day back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.